Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're going to love her latest selection? And inevitably, you just can't stand that book they suggested. That's us! <laughs> we both read a lot. Well, I don't even read, I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, that invite magic and mystery into our lives, science fiction, and fantasy rule. <laughs> I enjoy, I, I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. Boo. You can keep all that nonsense. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books. Each month, we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even if a book isn't entirely your style, it may have some redeeming qualities to it. Right? I guess we'll see. Hmm. <laughs> well, this month was one of my picks. You know, Christine's made me read these, like, big, thick, stodgy, uh books. So I wanted to pick <laughs> one that I remembered really fondly from when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So my book for this month is Philip Pullman's The Golden Compass, which is the first book in a trilogy, his Dark Materials trilogy. And then he's actually got another series set in the same world that he's just started. Because three was not enough. Well, for some of us, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and I do have to share, usually Christine and I don't talk about these books in advance because we want to make sure and save up all the good stuff, all mm -hmm. the good words and energy and um, Surprising. surprises <laughs> back and forth for the podcast. I think I've got a clear indication of how she feels about this book, though. I was a little though. feisty. I was a little feisty this morning. That's a calm way to put it. Yes. <laughs> she was slightly belligerent about the whole thing. Um, and I have to confess something because usually when I pick the books, I own them. So I usually walk down to my bookshelf and I pick it off and I go, oh, favorite book, I've missed you so much. So um, as per my usual method, you know, we're recording this on a Thursday. Thursday. Uh, Tuesday, I went down to get my book, <laughs> walked over to the shelves, all excited about it, found book two, found book three, no book one. Uh-oh. Yeah. So I frantically... I thought I was like a bad librarian, like I had misfiled this first book in the series. So I looked at the shelf near it, above it, and around it. <laughs> Did not have it. Don't know where it went. So I had to go buy a copy. Wow. Know. You know, they have books at a library. They do, but I wanted to mark in it and like oh, right. do things to it. So it's right. mine. I marked it up. So there's my confession. I did read it in advance of the podcast. I finished it. How many hours in advance? Um, enough. Yeah. It <laughs> like was two, three. Well, yeah, maybe a few more than that. Good job. So it happened. Mm -hmm. It's good. I've got the book. We're ready to go. And I realized something as I was kind of preparing for our podcast as well. I picked another Englishman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I, I don't know what it is. So You're in a rut. I started. I must be. <laughs> I have a type. I started thinking about, um, you know, the authors I've picked and why I keep picking them. And... We always try and do a little research on the authors, mm -hmm. and I started, like, looking him up, and, oh, he lives in Oxford, and he was born in Norwich, and he did all these things. And then I got to the point where he had been an awarded um, a knighthood, ah. and he is a CBE, a commander of most excellent order of the British Empire, which is one of their <laughs> chivalry <laughs> awards. And I thought, okay, I can see I can see what's happening here right now. I like authors that have been knighted. Mm -hmm. For their services to literature mm -hmm. and people who get fancy British royal monikers. 
And you can't do that you're if you're a not snob. British. You are a total snob. A book snob. Uh-huh. A An royal, author snob. A royal British book snob. Hmm. So I apologize. I, I have <laughs> I have grown to know myself a little bit better as a as a reader throughout this process. Good job. Well, I did want to tell you a few other small things that I thought were interesting. He was knighted as a knight bachelor. So now can he not get married? No. Apparently that's the lowest level of knighthood you can get. <laughs> Who knew that there were levels? Right? Because he's not in a military order. Okay. So they're called a knight bachelor. thought that okay. was very weird. And um, he, in 2013, he was elected president of the Society of Authors, the highest honor that you can get as a British author. So he sprung right up from the bottom of the knighthood to the top of the authorhood. Mm-hmm. Good for him. He's got trajectory, and it's <laughs> upward. All of it is upward. Until we get to my opinion, and then it's a solid downhill spiral. <laughs> oh, come on now. Was there anything that you liked when you were digging up history about him? I actually didn't. I was so annoyed by the book <laughs> that I never got to the biographical information. Oh, you But I'm getting ahead you. of myself. Uh, well, then I'm going to keep doing my fun background sure. stuff before you just tear it to shreds. Okay, fair enough. Um, part of what I liked about him as well is... And I found this with a couple of authors. They started off as teachers. Mm -hmm. So he was an elementary school teacher, and then he taught at a university level. And while he was teaching full-time, he was writing part-time. And I think that correlates a lot of times with the folks we land with in libraries as well because they're writers and teachers, and it's all that kind of literary education-based world. Right. And – Excuse me. He is a strong proponent of libraries, which I liked as well. And I know you don't care about that. No, no, no. Right on. Yeah. You know, like – we all have our things, and I think most authors are usually very appreciative of library, yeah. libraries and librarians, and I think that's great. Well, what I found out about him was, and I, I kind of knew this in a periphery sense, um, back in the early 2010s, they were trying to close a bunch of libraries in the UK. Mm-hmm. And apparently they were trying to close 600 of them all at once, <gasps> which is oh horrifying. Gosh, right. So he was a spokesperson for their national endeavor to try and keep these libraries open, which well, was a lovely thing. For sure. Um for for those of you who missed our last podcast, I'll give a brief synopsis of the book before we get started. Okay, but wait. Oh, oh. wait, wait. Uh-huh. We have to do our spoiler alert. <gasps> yes, thank you, thank you. Now is the time for us to warn you that yes. we're going to talk about the whole book, including any stupid endings and magical <laughs> twists. So if you have not stupid ending, if you have not yet, it's a trilogy. It's supposed to have it a will never end. Oh. So if you have not yet read <laughs> the Golden Compass. And you don't want us to spoil anything for you. Please stop listening now and join again after you've read it or decided beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are not going to read it, which I maybe recommend. You don't know <laughs> stuff. What is the matter with you? I'm this, kind of I'm kind of twitchy today, aren't I? Uh, about this and many other things. <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time grasping the dislike, and I know you'll tell me about it more. But, like, this book, I'll talk more about the details later. It's really well loved. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been it a is. it's been a 100 top book for children for two decades. It won the um, Carnegie Medal. It won the Guardian's Children Fiction Award. It's also been on a couple of banned book lists mm-hmm. for a couple of decades because of some of the points we'll talk about. Right. It is the first one in a trilogy, and they are a little long, but they're they're good. <laughs> and he he's actually writing a secondary. He called them. So this is a trilogy set. The Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spyglass. Mm-hmm. And then he's writing another trilogy set in the same world, but actually set like 20 years earlier. And he's not calling it a sequel. He's calling it an equal uh, because it's – It's not a prequel or a sequel. No, it's kind of in the same vein in there, which I thought was kind of weird, but fine. <laughs> um, so for those of you who haven't read this at all, 
It's about a girl named Lyra who lives at a college in Oxford, and she was left there by her uncle, who is kind of an adventurer. He He's exploring the Arctic in this world that they live in, which is kind of like an alternative reality space. Um, she's kind of rambunctious and a little bit daring. Um, she ends up listening in on a conversation one day from the like president of the school she was at, sees him trying to murder her uncle, mm-hmm. and this sets her off on this grand kind of adventure mm-hmm. where she's trying to find groups of missing children. And along the way, she joins a family of gypsies. She takes on an armored bear escort, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you will have things to say about. And uh, she breaks out of an Arctic prison, all while in the company of her constant companion, her... Now, I read it, so I'm mm-hmm. going to mispronounce some things. Demon or Damon? I, I listened, and they did say Demon. Demon um, Pam. Uh-huh. And using her gold alethiometer, which is like a compass that has symbols on it that guides you towards answers. So it's very, very fantasy-based, mm-hmm. um, which I know is not your favorite, but... I found a lot to redeem this story, and I'm bring it. I'm very, ready to be. I'm ready to be convinced. No, I'm really interested to hear what your problem <laughs> with it is because, <laughs> well, okay. So one of the big things to me was just the whole premise of adults torturing children is horrifying to me. I did mm-hmm. not want to pursue that line. I just okay. thought it was awful. Um, so the the amount of evil, true mm. evil, in the book turned me off. Okay. Um, I actually, this might surprise you, I didn't mind the talking bears. I didn't Whoa. mind. I know. See, I can be open-minded when yes. I want to be. Yorick is a member of the giant talking bear fighting cavalry. Correct. Yes. All of those things are correct. Mm-hmm. And he has some pretty bitten armor that he wears. Yes. Um, so. Sun iron or sky iron. Something crazy. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> bullets don't penetrate it. It's like the bomb. Um <laughs> So I was okay with that. I was also okay with the demons. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the way that Pullman um, introduced them sort of a little bit at a time where he would say, you learned what their um, capabilities were a little bit at a time. So you initially didn't understand that there was a difference between the demons that adults have and the demons that children have. And you learned a little later on that the demons are generally the opposite sex from the human that they're attached to. So I thought he did a very nice job um, artistically Mm -hmm. of introducing that, and and I was intrigued by it. But the evil is the part you had a hard part with. I had a hard, really hard time with that. Um, And um, I also had... Pullman, in my opinion, was a little too clever by half. Like, he... (laughs) He said he made up words where he could have used normal words in English. And I, I, this was my epiphany about myself, which is I think of language as not only an art form, but also it's, it's a useful, it's a practical it's a tool. thing. It's a tool. So when people intentionally make it more difficult than it needs to be to show how smart they are, it totally turns me off. And so mm. I, I actually, like, react negatively to it. And an example that I can give you from years and years ago is I think it was um, Plain Song by Kent Haroof. Mm-hmm. He didn't use quotation marks. I actually read the book rather than listening to it. I know this is Whoa. shocking. Shocking. Whole worldview shook. Yep. Yeah. And um, he didn't use quotation marks, and he used very little punctuation. And that really, really took away from my enjoyment of the book because I was so confused the whole time. And I thought, you know, we have these conventions for a reason. They make words more accessible to us. And if you choose not to use them, you're doing it 
just to piss me off, you know? So that, and I felt that way about Pullman because he kept saying anbaric lights instead Mm -hmm. of electric lights, which I just thought was, eh, so you're super smart. So we're gonna we're gonna disagree on this one, okay, and, and bring that's it. and that's okay. Absolutely. Um, why was that Why was that intriguing to you? Well, first of all, I feel like everyone should know that you are a grammar nerd. That is very true. Yes. So you may feel slightly more um, over ambitious about some of these than I have more everyone else in the world in the world, in except the world. maybe one of our board of trustees members. That's true. Who she will is remain a nameless. Fan of the. Um, what is that fancy comma? The Oxford comma. Oh, yeah. Yes. Everyone loves Oxford See how I remember comma. that? And it ties into the book because it's set in Oxford. Beautiful. So I don't mind his use of different words and phrases. So often when you start a fantasy or a science fiction book, they are purposefully not trying to explain things to you because they don't want to pull you out of the world that they're creating. Okay. They want you to kind of osmosis it over time. If mm-hmm. you see it often enough in context, you will develop an understanding of what this world looks like and you'll know it where other people don't. Okay. With this one, he, I thought, was purposeful about his use of words that were maybe slightly out of context. So calling an ambark, an ambark instead of electric, using um, words for places that mm-hmm. you might have to think about it. Like he called Lapland, which is, isn't that Finland? Somewhere I up see, there. I couldn't follow Lapland that. Lapland up there. Um Anglica instead of England. So Egyptians rather than gypsies. Yeah. So those were close enough for me that I could tell he was trying to set the tone for a place that was slightly different than our own, mm-hmm. but not so far out of scope that it it made me think I'm being pulled out of the story. Okay. So and he did use proper punctuation and grammar. Yes, I don't want to I don't want to draw that <laughs> comparison with Kent Roof because that would not be fair. And uh, to the comments about evil, you are absolutely correct. There is so much in this book that is intended to horrify you. Right. You know, one of the main points of this book, the reason that Lyra is going on this journey is children are being taken. And they're being taken north up into the Arctic to have experiments done on them. Yuck. And the experiments are of a theological bent um, or a – because they call it experimental theology. They're They're mm-hmm. talking about – you as a human being, whether you're a child or an adult, you have this demon with you, which is like a, a spirit creature that's mm-hmm. got physical manifestation, and it's your constant companion. And they're trying to – here's that spoiler alert, so don't yes. listen if you don't want to. They're trying to separate these children from their demons so that they can either get energy out of it to power things or so that they can uh, try and rectify an issue that the church in their world thinks is happening. And it's horrifying – but it's also, I think, a really critical point, both for the future two books that I know you're gonna never going to read. That is true. <laughs> but also setting a tone for Lyra as a child protagonist to fight for her own people in the story because the adults are not taking care of them. Oh, absolutely. It builds a very compelling case about her heroism and <clears throat> um, why she takes on what she takes on. I mean, there's no question about it. It just – it's such a terrible premise that I, and all of the, no, not true. Several of the adults have, are so manipulative Mm -hmm. that I just, I I feel like sometimes I need a little bit of redemption in everybody in order to fully engage. Got it. And um, this one, that really, that was tough for me. Okay. I, I don't want to spoil things for people who might want to read the next two books. I'm not going to talk about that. Right. But I think the redemption 
in whatever form it is in this book is not for those individual characters who are really truly bad people, yes. but it's in the forms of the adults who balance them out. So mm-hmm. like Yorick, who is not a human but is a bear, mm-hmm. putting himself on the line to, to save Lyra. And Lee, the uh, balloon guy. <laughs> he was a caricature. <laughs> he was very much a caricature. <laughs> but like Ma, the um, the mother gypsy, and right. there, there were pieces in there that are meant to show Lyra and the reader that there are adults that are trustworthy just as much as there are adults that are not. And right. so much of this book and the subsequent ones in the series are about the balance in things, the light and the dark, mm-hmm. um, heaven and hell, because this book is absolutely um, it's not a parable, but it's it's like a flip version of Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, the author has stated that he read that book so many times himself as a teenager, he wanted to write a variation on that that focused on the people side of it instead right. of the heaven and hell side of it. Right. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm okay with the evil part because I know what happens at the end and you right. don't, so ha 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 ha. <laughs> um, I'm okay with not knowing that too. <laughs> um, I, I think I mentioned this to you. I read this a decade or more ago. The mm-hmm. original book came out in 1995, and I think I read this when I was a teenager. And it's fascinating to go back and read a book a second time. Yep. And I know you said that when we read the Richard Russo book, yep. going back and picking up on things that you hadn't caught before. Yeah. The thing I caught the most with this rereading was the difference between faith mm-hmm. and religion, particularly organized religion. Okay. So when I read this the first time, you know, there there are some very obvious overtones about the kind of anti-establishmentarianism mm-hmm. that the author feels that mm-hmm. in this world that he's created, the church is the highest power. There mm-hmm. is really no government. It is the church and all the subsets of it. And he is not in favor of right. that. So when I read it the first time, I thought, oh, wow, they're really like anti-religion. Right. And then when I read it the second time as adult, knowing that and having done some research, I saw that it was much more about faith in things mm-hmm. that he wasn't trying to say like churches are bad right he was saying you need to find faith in the things that you want to find faith in so right. for lyra it's faith that her uncle is gonna save her and show her the way in adventure or that the adults in her life will balance out or as the book ends that there there's going to be something on the other side right um, that was fascinating because this book has so much negative press yeah. around it um, I can't. What was the book series that it's been compared to? Um, you might be surprised that I don't know the answer to that. Oh, um, C.S. Lewis, uh, the oh, Chronicles right, right, of Narnia. Right, right, Narnia. And Narnia has been often touted as um, not a character, but definitely something that is highly supportive of of organized religion and Christianity. <laughs> this book has been panned for right. being kind of the flip side of that. Um, so reading it as an adult, knowing kind of the background on it, I looked at it with new eyes. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I would say that not having any of the background mm-hmm. and um, – but knowing I, – I mean, I can very clearly remember um, showing kids in the library where this trilogy was located mm-hmm. and having their parents say, oh, no, you can't read that. That's ah. a horrible, horrible book about dark magic. And now it is called His Dark Materials. Mm-hmm. I mean, the series title is that. So, Which is a quote from Paradise Lost. Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't pick up on that. Ah, yes. um, so I remember – that it was controversial and continues to be controversial just from my experience in the library. Um, but I, I took the um, the information about organized religion to sort of mean that we should think for ourselves, mm-hmm. that um, questioning things is good 
and um, don't just blindly accept. And so I didn't, I didn't take that Pullman was negative about organized religion as a whole. Mm-hmm. I think he was, he seems to me to be a proponent of um, scrutiny and yes. and thinking for yourself, which I'm full and on in favor of. Yeah. You know? Well, and the idea of a, a human and a demon. I don't know that I read this as quoted from him, but it's like a human in their soul. It's right. it's the other part of you. Right. And he's he's gotten a lot of flack from some organized religion groups, but he's also gotten some support from them that are saying things like that, like yeah. find faith in the things that make you feel whole. Right. But don't don't be afraid to look right. and see what's out and there. Push back a little yeah. bit. You know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, you. You may not have picked up on these because you were naysaying my lovely book so much. But I was. I was angrily, <laughs> angrily naysaying. But there were a few moments in here that this book was not really funny. Um, and it's definitely a teen adult book. It is yeah. not for younger children. Right. But there were some moments in here that just had me cackling because I was so <laughs> amused. Like the evilest lady in this book mm-hmm. has an evil monkey. Yeah. Her demon is an evil monkey. That's awesome. It was the best. Yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't get away from several cartoon <laughs> reference moments I had from right. that. And as a millennial, mm-hmm. I also had this awful moment where there's a chapter in here titled Mortal Kombat. Yes, there is. Which is a video game and movie. Right. And throughout the whole chapter in my head, I've got the theme song going. <laughs> and I'm like pretending to do fight moves with like my controller buttons as I'm reading it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's a lot. That's what you do at 3.30 in the morning when you're reading. So um, so those two amused me. Um, and there was also a piece in here where uh, Lyra was running away at one point and she stops to grab a coffee. And this man walks up to her and he's like, oh, hey, let me buy oh, yeah. you your coffee. He was creepy. Yeah. He's creepy. And Lyra's like 13 in this book. Right. And he's like, oh, what are you doing out here, young lady? And she's like, oh, I'm waiting my dad. He's a murderer. He's a murderer. <laughs> I have his change of fresh clothes in here. Because he's be- covered in blood. Because he's covered in blood. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, girl, you go. So there were she's these. She's resourceful. She's very resourceful. And she's um, she grows into herself as the yes. series continues. So I love that there were little tiny moments of things that maybe go, oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, I like that a lot. There was a through. little unexpected humor poking through every once in a while. Just a few pieces, just a few little ones in there. Um, I also thought it would be an opportune moment to talk because we earlier we talked about um, UK authors. Uh, yes. They changed the title of this, ah. as they do with many books that start in the UK and come over. Right. So this book was titled Northern Lights, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. because they're going up towards Northern Lights. Right. And um, they change it to the Golden Compass when they mm-hmm. released it here, which is actually the wrong title. They wanted to call it the Golden Compasses, which is another quote from a John Milton oh, book. Oh, okay. I can't figure out why they didn't call it Northern Lights. It would have been fine. Yeah, but, that's interesting. Yeah. But like Harry Potter and right. the Sorcerer's Stone, right. they take the U out of favorite. You right. Know, it's just there's – just leave the name. It's fine. We'll be fine. They, yeah, maybe they think our heads will explode. Yeah, I spoke with my husband a little bit about this, and he he was he does not like this book either. So you're <gasps> not alone. Yay, Stephen! But he also the part he dislikes the most is the Americanization of the name. <laughs> so I can't I can't help with that part. It is what it is. Well, I think my favorite part of the book was one of the witches' names, which was Serafina Peccolo, which is just <laughs> awesome. I just it's a great name, and I think if I get a dog, I'm gonna name it Serafina Peccolo because that's easy to come here, Serafina Peccolo. She needs a strong middle name in there as well. Okay. Serafina. Cordelia. Cordelia 
Pecola. Pecola. There you go. Done. New dog name. Great. Well, I'm sorry I didn't convince you, but for everyone else out there listening, this book and trilogy really is worth reading. It's got some excellent character development. And if you can get past the intrinsic evil that she has to overcome throughout the story, uh, the series is fascinating. And I think, you know, in fairness, if I had known how much evil and kind of had steeled myself against it, I might have enjoyed it more. Maybe. So, you know. Well, I mean, like the cover of the book is these two little kids writing on the back of a of a polar bear. So yeah. it maybe is doesn't, doesn't scream, bad stuff's going to happen. You know, <laughs> Beware. So, yeah. Well, what are you going to make me read next Oh, one? I'm so glad that you asked. Are you? I am. Mm. You're going to hate this. <laughs> no, I'm going to like it. Okay. I, I have an open mind. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I challenge you. I challenge you to love mm. the book called The Second Mrs. Hockaday okay. by Susan Rivers. Uh, very briefly, it is historical fiction, because you know I loves me my historical fiction. You do. Um, Civil War, American Civil War, and it is told through letters and document court documents, and it is okay. based on a true story, and um, all I will say is that the thing that appeals to me the most is the integrity, the compassion, and the loyalty that the characters display, and so okay. I will leave you with that. I like books and letters. Yes, you do. So I will read it. <laughs> the morning of the podcast. Or the night before. No, Two options. Probably not true. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can always grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please join us next month when we will be discussing The Second Mrs. Hockaday by Susan Rivers. Thank you so much and keep on reading. <laughs>